Happy anniversary, Fourth Line Theater. Happy anniversary, Fourth Line. Happy anniversary, Fourth Line Theater. Well done on 30 years. Hello, my fellow theater lovers. Welcome to episode three of Treading the Barn Boards, tales from a farm turned theater on the Fourth Line of Millbrook. I'm Meg Murphy, and I have the pleasure of escorting you on an audio celebration of the 30th anniversary of Fourth Line Theater. In this episode, we're going to get to know managing artistic director Kim Blackwell. Aside from a wee hiatus when she was a chef in New Orleans, or when she was the head of marketing for Canadian Stage Company, or when she ran her own balloon company, Kim has been a part of Fourth Line from the very beginning. I was given a pair of rusty hedge clippers and told to start cutting grass. So, yeah, that counts as the very beginning. Oh, and for the record, the chef and the balloon thing, yeah, both true stories. Now, Kim, how did you get your start in theater? Well, at All Saints Anglican Church, I was the, was it a mouse? What, once in the, uh, once a, what's the Christmas story called? The famous Christmas tale? Like, it was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even the mouse. So at All Saints Church, I was the mouse, not stirring, under the table. And I don't even know where the costume came from, but I think I was very proud of the costume. And when we took the curtain call at the end, I don't know if I was too big for the costume, but it ripped right up the butt and up into the back. And it was the most horrified I've ever been. I acted for a long time because that was the way into theater. So then my other revelatory experience was at the Peterborough Theater Guild in grade four. And I took a a one day class in makeup, stage makeup with Nancy Bethune. Do you remember Bud and Nancy Bethune? And I got picked for Nancy to do makeup on. And she made me into an old woman with, you know, how she loved to do lines and find all the craggy lines on a face. And I looked like a 10-year-old old woman. And I just thought, this is the power of theater and the magic of theater that you can be anyone. And so from there, those two formative experiences kind of set me on the stage to where I am now. I'm kind of like a mouse with a split up costume and a in a 10 year old and old lady makeup. That's kind of my whole career in a nutshell. Aw, you'd make an adorable little mouse with an accidental trap door. Okay, so from the mouse to an old lady, but what happened after that? At that time, I was wandering a bit. I was finishing up at Trent. I was working at Mr. Gishman's jewelry store on George Street, Peterborough Jewelers. So I, I can I can sell you a Royal Dalton China set and I can change the battery in your watch and I can appraise your diamonds as well. Uh, so I was wandering a bit and, you know, I had uh, I was supposed to go to York out of high school and I had a scholarship to go to York into the acting program. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have made it through the acting program. I probably would have switched disciplines, I would imagine, into technical theater ultimately. And at the end of the summer of grade 13, when I was getting ready to go, I decided I was going to have to find myself instead, which is insane, and move to Fort McMurray, Alberta to be a nanny, as you do. And so at the core of my being, it's sort of in my lost early 20s, I I just should have been acting. I should have just been working in theater the whole time because it is literally, it's, it's, uh, it's baked into my DNA. But but it but ultimately everything like you know cooking in New Orleans and running a balloon decorating company of my own and working in, with balloons in Edmonton weirdly was all just bringing me back around to this aligning moment in February of '92 and the Union Theater, which was such an extraordinary place, and then meeting Rob and coming to the farm and knowing, without even knowing it, that I was home. 
Here are two fellas who were there for those early years in Kim's career, Rob Winslow and Matt Gilbert. Uh, I've known Kim since she was involved in the Union Theatre in the early 90s, probably even before Fourth Line started, around the same time, maybe. And then she was hired to be like a personal assistant to me when I was doing the Blazers. And she was a stage manager in many, many shows. And she is a real go-getter. I mean, in a very different way than me, but she is also a real go-getter and a real dynamo about accomplishing things and getting things done, getting things done and finding out a way to have something She's one of the most driven people I've ever, I've ever met. Cause I think, I think she was with Robert in East city soaps, if I recall correctly. So she's been around, she's been a, a part of things for quite a long time. She really wanted to make a career in the theater. She's an excellent, and she, I mean, she still is an excellent, excellent stage manager. I came in later in 92 as just a little, like a little puppy dog. Like, okay, what do I, what should I do? What should I do? Oh, I'll build like eight eight uh, Catholic women's costumes. Oh, I'll play Colleen McCarty and I'll, I'll get an Irish accent. Me and Dave, to- uh, Dave Toby will play Colleen and Charles McCarty. And I had like a crazy backstory that nobody would ever know about. And so I was a Catholic in the second act and an assistant stage manager and built costumes. And Robert talks about the fact that being his personal assistant meant, meant that basically like I'd stand in front of him so nobody could talk to him. Kim continued in various multi-hyphenate roles until 2003, when she made her fourth-line directorial debut. The play was Attrition, written by Ryan Kerr. And that was it. She was hooked. I think the first thing that I love about being a director is that I'm a control freak, so I have the ultimate kind of control over a, a chaotic collaborative group. But I love people's lives. I'm fascinated by how extraordinary everybody is. Everybody has a fascinating story. I, I, I challenge you to find someone out there whose story could not be a stage play or a Netflix series. Sometimes I, uh, I wish that maybe mine wasn't as exciting. That it, like, Wouldn't that be fun if your life was just boring enough that they wouldn't want to do a play about you? I've had the pleasure of being directed by Kim on more than one occasion, and she shows up ready to work because she loves the work. That little known fact, um, she has a particular type of binder she uses for her copy of the script, and she brings an entire package of brand new push pencils, new erasers, first day rehearsal. And I may or may not have stolen a few. (laughs) Shh, that's what you get for being so organized. So Kim, you started as an actor. Why the shift to directing? I am all about process, mostly. So I love the working with playwrights on new scripts. I love the dramaturgical work. I love losing myself in the world of the play. I don't think of it as being outside of it when I'm reading scripts. Like I really dive in. I'm asking questions like they're real people. Like why did, you know, why did so-and-so do that here? Because over here he said this and the, the playwright's like, oh, right. Like I just, I love to create the world. So part of that in rehearsals is is just diving into that process with the actors and the script and the crew and the company and the designers and making a, a new world. With the acting piece, once it's opened, I found this in December, which I made myself giggle. It would be about 4.30 and I'd be like, oh no, I, I 
can't get into my pajamas right now. I can't take my bra off. I have to go to the theater and get up on stage. That's of no interest to me. No, not at all. Bras, they're the worst. I had the opportunity to work with Kim alongside one of my best friends, Kate Sir, in the summer of 2021 on a little something we called the Veranda Society. Now, Kate perfectly describes what it's like to work with Kim. I think her brain is so powerful. She is a creative force. I love the way that she is able to go macro and micro so easily. She finds the essence of a piece more quickly than anyone I've ever met, I think. Like she could read a whole script and in one second know exactly what it is supposed to be about. Is that how it feels for you? How, how do you approach a new production? I see flashes of things. So I see flashes or images. <clears throat> and then I'm really looking for the collaboration of the team. So I, I, with designers, I might say, you know, I've got this thing and I keep seeing this and then a, a good designer will go away and they'll build on that. And then, of course, they'll bring their own things in. But I love the collaboration of that. And I love I'm not afraid to lead the team. I'll put it all on my shoulders. I'm fine to do that. But I do love the collaboration of everybody having ideas. And I don't have a perfect vision or a complete vision coming in. I have elements of it. And I love that she'll come in the next day um, to work and she'll say, okay, well, last night in bed, I thought of all these things. And I think that this is supposed to be this way. And don't you agree? And and if it's this way, then maybe this person could say this. And you just realize how passionate she is about the project. Each project, she becomes completely in, entrenched in it and immersed in it. She bathes in it. And it's really beautiful to watch that. I just sometimes lay in bed and have these ideas or I'm in the shower or I'm driving or I see something flash. I, okay, this is so stupid. Do you remember the movie Working Girl with Melanie Griffith? I love that movie. Do you remember when she was asked, like she was about to be fired, and Sigourney Weaver and her and Harrison Ford and the guys that own the radio station, Trask Industries and the radio guys, they're all standing at the elevator. And it's like, tell us why, how you figured out how to put Trask together with the radio people. She goes, well, I was reading this article and this thing, and I saw this thing, and I saw your daughter's um, wedding announcement, and that was so cute, and I thought Trask and so-and-so, and I put it together. And then he asked Sigourney Weaver, how did, because Sigourney Weaver had stolen the idea, how did you come up with Trask going together with the radio guys? And she was, she couldn't figure it out. And so sometimes my brain is really, like I have a busy, fast brain and there's tons of intersecting ideas. Like when I'm having conversations with people, I am listening to them and actively listening. I'm trying to, at the same time, it's firing 10 other things. And I have to sometimes say to people, sorry, we're just going to, this isn't going to make any sense, but I had this idea just now. It made me think of this and it doesn't even necessarily connect but I have this like busy mind. And that busy mind has helped to produce some of the most epic plays Fourth Line has done. Huge casts using the entire landscape. It is no easy feat. Here are actors Ken Houston and Griffin Clark. Kim has such a skill for, with crowd scenes, orchestrating chaos. Like, you know where you're going. Everybody knows exactly where they're going, what they're doing. But if you sit back and watch it from the outside, you're like, this looks insane. How is nobody running each other over right now? Yeah, I mean, she's a powerhouse, right? 
she's been there since since I started. She she's the one that uh, that cast me in Cabin Blazers back in 2004. Um, and just to see her, you know, grow and rise throughout the company and uh, get to a point where. I mean, she's pivotal to the company. Um, but yeah, I think she, she has a really strong ability to, to get uh, good performances out of people. And, and she really, she's a very trusting director, I find. You know, she, she really lets you put your stamp on whatever character you're working on. And uh, I mean, it's no small task to wrangle the casts that uh, she's had to wrangle, you know, <laughs> Fourth line does not have small casts, and uh, you know I, I wouldn't want to do it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I think I have the best job in Canadian theater. I get to work in the space from the second we start rehearsals. I clearly love the summer and the sun and the heat, so I love being outside all the time. And I love the fact that there are basically no limits to what we can do. We can completely surprise the audience by coming from anywhere. And we can have entrances from a half a mile away on horseback. So we don't have to pretend that happened. We can actually show that. I never want to think of what we're doing as um, reenactments. That would not be like a World War I reenactment. There are people who do that, and that's really interesting work. This is something more fantastic than that, in that we can transport people and and um, immerse them in something. So I think it's like my favorite kind of theater in some ways is immersive theater, promenade theater, where you walk the audience around. But I, I think that what we do so beautifully, beautifully is we immerse people in the world that we are creating. And we do it without any lights at 6 p.m. in the bright sunlight. Like, we don't need lights to tell anyone where to look or how to do. We we do all of that with bodies and voices and costumes and music. Something I heard over and over again while interviewing folks for this podcast was the role Kim played in their lives as a mentor, cheerleader, and career starter. Here's actor, playwright, and musician, Bo Dixon. You know, we hit it off from day one but we've also been cat fighting like cats and dogs since day one you know but it's like i think we come out the other end better people i have like if it wasn't for kim blackwell megan i would not be where i am um because you know going back to the first play attrition she was the first director she was the first person in the industry so i was very new at it at the time but it was the only reason why I didn't get into the industry is because she didn't care about what color you were. See, think of it, someone like me, my skin color being cast in a World War I play, a soldier in the trenches, that, that didn't happen back then. You know, if you were a dark-skinned person, you're in the, in the woods cutting trees, you know, for those, those about to come, you know, uh, or you're cleaning up those that just left, but you're not in the, you're not in it, but she, Kim didn't care. She just looked at the talent. She looked at the potential. She looked at the fact that I was also a musician and it's like, Oh, if I have him in the show, he can also be playing music with Justin backstage. And it was brilliant. It's like, of course. Here's actor and playwright, Alex Posh Golden, who wrote The Right Road to Pontypool and Bad Luck Bank Robbers. And he also wrote the upcoming production of The Great Shadow. 
Uh, I love Kim, and I'm really grateful to her for opening this avenue to Fourth Line Theater for me, and not just to Fourth Line Theater, but to being a playwright. Because um, my work had always been just a little bit more uh, insular and independent, and suddenly I kind of felt legitimized. People were willing to pay me to write, and people were coming to see the shows, and uh, there were royalties in the house, and all that was really thrilling. Here's Ken Houston again. The big thing I'll always be thankful for will have to be the the second run of uh, Bad Luck Bank Robbers and Kim taking the chance to put me on stage as one of the robbers with Paul Bronstein, Ryan Holliman, and John Tench. I mean, I'm pretty sure John Tench's resume is longer than I am tall. Three other guys who are leagues beyond me in experience. And she's like, yeah, you know what? Give her, see if you can keep up. And the confidence boost it got when I was actually able to keep up. Uh, Kim willing to take that risk on me and throw me in that position to do that was was a big one. Was like that was a that was a big confidence boost. And Kim has been a particularly strong influence for young women. Here's fourth line general manager Lindy Finlan. She's always looking to improve upon whatever it is she's working on, right? So she's looking at the art or, you know, if it's a script that she's dramaturging or a a play that she's directing, a scene she's directing, or like a personal leadership skill that she's working on, she just takes it on. Like, and I find that so brave. Um, So I definitely, she inspires me all the time in that way. She opens doors for people. Like she's such a generous person that way. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just, oh, somebody's looking for a job and I find, heard about a job. Somebody is looking for someone to fill and, oh, let's put those two people together, right? And that seems like an easy thing to do, but it's like, well, not everyone does that. I think I wasn't necessarily in a headspace coming out of uh, years of school. I guess I, I wasn't a business person, so I didn't have a lot of experience in business. Um, she's like self-taught business person, so she taught me a lot. Um, in that way, but man, just the life lessons of like, you know, you can, you can have goals and you can achieve them, you know, and work toward them and fail along the way and succeed along the way and just be okay with it. Like I, she has just inspired me, but also like encouraged and sometimes pushed me to make those goals. And, and so, I mean, she's been a mentor to me, um, professionally and personally. Because I always want to give women, especially if they've been um, put in a box, like you are an administrator, you are this, you are that. I want to explode those boxes because I fought for a long time. People, everybody wanted me to be a really good stage manager. I'd stage managed a fourth line for years and I wanted to direct. I thought I had stories to tell in a different kind of way. Not that stage managing isn't super important, so key, but everybody wants to keep you in the box they feel the most comfortable with you in. So I'm always looking for opportunities to be, be like, well, then be this, like, then, then don't be this, be that thing you want to be or try it. Like with Lindy wanting to be a writer, you know, I don't know that I would have aspired to certain things for myself without that influence of Kim just kind of doing it in her own life. And then also just saying, yeah, you can, you can actually just try. You can just say you want to do that and try it. It's like, can I? <laughs> Kim hired me as assistant stage manager on Berlin Blues 
where like I was not I was in high school like had just finished high school at the time um just like being given all of that responsibility to work on the show as an assistant stage manager being paid when I look back on like wow that was it's kind of an incredible experience and such a unique opportunity and I just like this the confidence that you gain from that from being going like I don't know what I'm doing to like being like oh look I could I could do this also the biggest thing we have to owe to Kim is yeah. is, 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 uh, is us meeting yeah but, Kim and Rob yeah Kim and Rob yeah, well for me it was Kim asked me to come out to the audition yes, for it yeah. and cast me in the show but yeah, I mean, without Forefront, we wouldn't have met. And without Kim casting me, we wouldn't have met. Yeah. So. That's Emily Spazov and Ken Houston. They met at Fourth Line in 2012, and they're getting married this year at the farm. Yep, Ken rode up shirtless on horseback during St. Francis of Millbrook, like he was a cover model in a Harlequin romance novel. And the rest, it's history. Here's Emily's sister, Annika Spazov. Kim was always like, and still is like one of my biggest cheerleaders. Like <laughs> she is like always there being like, I remember um, like when I was like 16, kind of thinking about the different things I wanted to do. She's like, if you want to keep pursuing theater, like I'll write you a letter for the NTC. Like, don't you worry about it. And um, like all these scholarships I was applying for. And then, and then whenever I needed a job reference and she'd always act like know exactly what I was up to. And we'd be, whenever I saw her, she would be asking about it and how things were going. And I think it's uh, a lot of kids don't necessarily have like an adult cheerleader for them outside of their parents, or even some kids don't even have that within their family or their, or their guardians. And I think it is a lot for, um, you know, helping kids grow. And I mean, I could go into the whole health benefits of that and ACE studies and whatnot, but it is, it is, um, you know, a, a really big impact on a, on a child to go and have that sort of like support in their, um, from adults in their life. Um, so forever going to be grateful for basically just being surrounded by that. <laughs> my whole childhood. <laughs> Another very important person who has grown up at the farm is Kim's daughter, 16 year old Maud Rose. I think so. My first show was Winslow's of Derrybor in 2010, um, and I was four years old. But that was obviously I've been raised on the farm. Like I always had babysitters in the, on the farm, and they yeah, have a pretty special relationship with Fourth Line. I always wanted her to know that I wasn't just her mother; that I was a woman with a career and an, an, and an artist with an artistic sense and sensibility and vision. It definitely taught me like from a very young age that women are in powerful positions and they're leaders in our world and in our industry. Um, just how she directed and led the show and like the company as a whole um, really just showed me how powerful and what an amazing person and leader she was. But now come on, give me the goods. There must be some times when it's weird or even, dare I say, annoying to have your mom as your director. <laughs> um. I feel like she's probably way more hard on me than anyone else because she can because I'm her kid. But um, so there's a lot of like during shows like, why aren't you practicing your lines? Like you're you should be memorizing. Why aren't you memorizing? And I'm like, mom, I'm just I'm going to see friends. Like, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've always been able to like keep a fairly good balance in that relationship. 
and getting notes is always funny because she's like I have notes being like Maud be more drunk in the scene or like Maud uh, can you fall down more in the scene or like can you wobble more on the stage like very funny many people I interviewed talked about Kim's celebration and support of women in the industry here is longtime production collaborator Esther Vincent and actor creator Sedna Fiati I'm really pleased that Kim has been very conscious, um, certainly in the last few years, about including women in positions of creative um, control and where uh, they become decision makers. Kim has been really great. I mean, she asked me to come aboard and assistant direct Bud Luck Bank Robbers. When I think of it, yeah, she's been such a, a leader at Fourth Line, you know, really infusing, like, really infusing diversity before it was cool, <laughs> before it was a buzzword, being a woman in, in a leadership position. You know what I mean? When there weren't as many, um, yeah, taking on all kinds of roles at, at Fourth Line as well, like just as a director, sure, but also as like producing all of the work of keeping the company going, you know? And even with the, sh the production of Queen Marie, like infusing a feminist principle in it in terms of having um, this, I said, this like ensemble of young women um, and having a lot of like mainly women drive the story and even programming that work, midwifing that work, um, you know, with Shirley, Shirley Berry, rest in peace. Um, yeah, all of that. I feel like Kim is just infused like feminism into the way that she does things and who she chooses to do things and how things unfold so that like fourth line has been embracing those principles. Maya Ardell is Kim's longtime collaborator. Maya is an actor, director, writer. She's written multiple shows for Fourth Line, including The Hero of Hunter Street and this summer's production of Wishful Seeing. When I first started in theater, it was dominated by the middle-class, white, pretty well male world. They, they made all the decisions. And of course, it was mostly women that were buying the tickets. So it's always been crazy. I mean, it's always been just crazy. So what I love about Kim is she's always known this. I mean, this is something incredibly important to, to Kim as well. And she's a woman who's who's come up through the pipe with wonderful support from Robert, which is great. Um, um, and eventually, you know, taking on complete responsibility for for the productions of Fourth Line. And, no, and more than that, um, the relationship between Fourth Line and, and the community and the broader community, bringing women in to write for the theatre, bringing more women leadership. I mean, it's great she's doing it, but it's also... Man, I thought in 1992, we would have even be further. We'd be further ahead than we are now. It should be so natural for us to be interacting with, you know, with each other, transgender, different heritage, different languages, different accents, different bodies, everything. Um, so, but anyway, it's going to happen and it already is happening at Fourth Line. And um, uh, Kim will not, she will not let it um, fade away. And Kim, how does feminism influence your work? I'm hoping it influences every decision I make to try to give space for more women to enter the realm, to try to find the stories about women. Because so often when history is written, it's written from the men's point of view, like the men were the only heroes, the only swashbucklers. And it just takes more time and energy to find the women's stories, but they sure as heck are there because we are 51% of the population. I think one of the things I, I tried to do when I became artistic director in 2014 was creating the Epic Women's Directing Project so that 
except when Robert wants to direct his own shows, as he should, all the directors at Fourth Line, for the most part, are going to be women. It'll be an extraordinary thing to have a man direct there for the near future, because women are so often cut out of the epic field, like large, getting the chance to dig into large scale work. And I want to give women that opportunity to direct, to assistant direct, to apprentice direct, to observe direct, whatever. I want women to be able to direct. I'm always interested in balance. So I'm sort of pushing the pendulum one way for a while. There's lots of men getting to direct at other theaters. It won't be the end of the world if a few men don't direct at Fourth Line. It's going to be okay. And we are giving opportunities, transformative opportunities to women and to hopefully more and more people from historically oppressed communities to work with us and to work in substantive ways. And what do you wish people knew about you? Yeah, well, I run hot. So I don't think that's a surprise to anybody who knows me. I can be a little bit dismissive, probably and a little bit short with people and I don't ever mean to be. And I'm always mortified afterwards. And I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure out the balance between driving the bus forward at like Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock in that movie, like at speed, breakneck pace, and not leaving bodies in my wake. When I get those things wrong, the human interactions, when I haven't spent enough time making sure everybody feels they're getting what they need from me and from the the situation, then I, I feel the, those are the worst mistakes I make. Now, I'm not going to lie. I used to be kind of uh, scared of Kim because she's a powerhouse. And I always wanted to impress her and I wanted her to like me. So Kate Sir and I talked about this and Kate actually summed it up perfectly. She's very powerful. But once you know her, like you know her, you're like, oh, it's not scary. It's, it's sovereignty. It's like, I'm going to own my space, ladies. And here, come with me and I'm going to show you how to own your space. It's true. I've learned a lot from Kim. And I'm grateful. And I'm not the only one. Here's Bo Dixon again. I learned a lot from her. I, and I, I keep on learning from her. And whether it's her, you know, I learned from her mistakes. Um, or whether I just learned from her her tenacity, you know, and I called her and I don't give her compliments at all because I don't want it to go to her head. But I, I uh, called her and I said, you know, this, this, this theater industry is falling apart. Like, you know, I'm not impressed and I'm not going to name names or whatever, but I, I, I will say publicly, I'm not impressed with how theater Canadian theater has been dealing with the pandemic. But I, I didn't get into her saying that. I just said, listen, I'm I, like, I'm really impressed. Not that my opinion really matters, but it's like, I'm really impressed that with the stuff Fourth Line has been doing. It's you, you've actually out of, out of many other theater companies in this country, you guys are really keeping it together. <laughs> you know, it's like, but this, that's when, Kim works the best. You see, it's like she, she, you know, she thrives on problem solving and, and, you know, she enjoys that. And I don't actually really ever feel sorry for her or worry about her. 
I don't worry about her. And, it, and, it, and that's what it took coming out of the pandemic, being in the pandemic where it's like, yes, that's where that, that fierceness that, you know, she on an administrative level, she's getting the paychecks. She's one of the few that are still getting paid while we're f trying to figure out what's going on. You know, she doesn't have to put in the work that she puts in, but she does anyway. So I, I, I'm proud of being her friend when I, when I'm confirmed this. Kim has been amazing at, at expanding the company's outreach at opening up the people that the company involves her focus on championing women's stories. Let's just start with that. I and mean, that's been major, right? Looking at uh, racial issues, uh, BIPOC issues, youth issues, like all sorts of things that she has, has, has. So she's, <laughs> she's very much a person of this time, let's say. Whereas I being an old white dinosaur, I'm part of that, 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 that prehistoric, you know, early pioneer kind of thing. It's, it's it's fascinating. We are historically based, but the only reason we want to look at history sometimes is so that we can stop from making the same mistakes going forward. And when our plays are at their best, they teach us something about the society and the world we live in now. So I'm always using that eye or approaching works that way. Like, what does this tell us about now and who we are now? What's the comment? So that it's not just a historical reenactment, that there is there is a passion or a something, a, a through line or something to be said in the play that can help us see what our lives are like now. Kim, you've spent 28 years at Fourth Line. What has it meant to you? Sorry, I'm going to cry a little bit. Um, it is really... I have been blessed to be there for three decades. Just, just blessed. Um, I've worked really hard and I have never counted over time. And every time there was something to do, I would pitch in and help as to best of my ability. But that place is a magic place. And to be able to connect the art I desire to do with community and the stories of the lives of extraordinary men and women. It's pretty perfect, Meg. Thank you, Kim, for your vision, creativity, and leadership. We can't wait to see what happens next. Speaking of next, on the next episode of Treading the Barn Boards, greatest segue of all time. We're going to take you into the factory to see how the sausage gets made. Wait, no, that's gross. How about we just talk to the playwrights and creatives who dream up the shows we enjoy every summer? And we'll hear some hilarious backstage stories and shenanigans that you wouldn't necessarily know about as an audience member. Thank you to everyone who shared their stories with me. And to those with whom I did not have a chance to chat, thank you for playing a role in the life of Fourth Line Theatre. Thank you to Poddington Bear for the music, and thank you for listening. Live theater is back at the barn. Visit fourthlinetheater.on.ca for tickets and events. Happy anniversary, Fourth Line Theater. We'll see you this summer on the stage. <laughs>